0: Thank you so much, and good morning. It's so good to be able to gather together, whether it be within this facility and this second now of the services or live stream. We are one congregation in Jesus Christ, and we want to be able to understand what it is that God wants to say to us through his word, and so I'm going to be asking that everybody now be taking their Bibles and turning with me to... Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36 and onward today in our study into chapter 16 of verse 10. And while you're turning there, I'd love to be able to, if possible, show a map that appears on screen at this point. And what you and I are now going to see is an extraordinary movement by God, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is moving from, what we'll say, the east to the west. Notice right now that the way the map is configured, and you look at the markings here, you will see that at this moment you find Paul in Antioch. It's a cutting-edge church, cutting-edge situation, and he is sensing now that it's time to head out with Barnabas again and visit some of the churches that they had previously established. But heading as they are westward, They thought then that they would be able to head off then into Asia. God has other plans. Ever tried to tell God what your plans are? And then he tells you, yeah, but have you consulted mine? One of the major aspects in the history of Christianity is addressed in today's text. Because the question is, will the gospel head eastward? into Asia, at this juncture in history, or will it head westward into Europe? This will be the defining moment, as you see in these verses. The Holy Spirit is going to guide these men westward rather than eastward. And and the result is that you're going to have, eventually in history, a Luther, a Calvin, and a Zwingli. You're going to have a Wesley and a Whitfield. You're gonna have a Billy Graham and on. As the gospel would head westward into Europe and eventually into the United States of America, what we see here is how the Holy Spirit is at work. The question is why? Because eventually the timing would be such that it would head eastward. What you have to grapple with me about is the whys, and the whens, the hows, the wheres, and on and on in God's sovereign plan. And so that's the story behind the map. And now the story in this text begins to unfold. Because in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, you and I are told that after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city, where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, you see. Barnabas gets involved deeply
1: in personal relationships. He cares. But Paul thought best
0: not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul is a globalist. One's thinking personal, the other's thinking global. Is there a right or a wrong? No. We've got to understand their calling. Keep going. And there arose a sharp disagreement. That they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith
1: and they increased in numbers daily. Here it comes. Watch carefully. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the
0: Holy Spirit to speak the word of Asia. Can you imagine that, being told
1: by the Holy Spirit? Don't share the gospel in a setting. If that's not enough, go to the next verse. And there arose, uh, excuse me,
0: and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them
1: A second time, God says no. What do you make of this?
0: So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there,
1: urging them, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's in Europe. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we
0: sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this morning what I'd love to do with you is to explore the whole matter of the guidance of God. How God guides us, how God leads us, how God directs us, and you've ever grappled with the guidance, the direction, the leading of God, and where God is taking you, these verses can relate to your personal experience. As we look to the Lord together now in prayer.
1: And so, Father, whether it be live stream or here in person, for people of first service now reflecting upon the text they explored,
0: us during the 9.30 period now doing the same. We want to be able to glean the insights that come from your word and separate them out from human opinion. To be able to distinguish between your will and personal preferences. So if there's anyone here this morning in person, live stream, who's grappling with decision making, trying to discern how oh, the God of the universe would get involved in such a personal level that he would direct and guide. And, but then the question
1: is, but how are you directing and where are you leading? Open our eyes, Father. Warm our hearts. Engage our minds. Shape our wills.
0: Come here, Father, once again now to see Jesus and him only.
1: I'm praying these things still again now in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you learn at the intersections of life?
0: When you are driving down the road and you reach an intersection, what lessons are awaiting you? Last week I was heading down a road to an intersection and
1: I always keep a notepad by me not knowing what new lessons are going to unfold. Fascinating. A blind man was making his way down the sidewalk.
0: He had his cane, white cane, in front of him. And furthermore, he had his guide dog. It's interesting, by the way, it's called a guide dog, not a guidance dog, isn't it? And as they reached the intersection, something happened that I don't normally see in such circumstances. Where this blind individual let go of the reins. <laughs> he was reaching into pockets. Evidently, he was trying to find something. I've pulled off simply because I find intersections to be the most interesting aspects of what life's all about. I'm jotting down my thoughts. But what fascinates me is that the dog does not leave him. The guide dog remained at his side even when the reins were released. And then, finally, whatever it was that he was looking for, he found he was able then to immediately secure the reins and just continue on working with the guide dog. And they made their way through the intersection. As this was occurring, here's what I jotted down in my notes.
1: The source of our guidance always remains present throughout our lives. The source of our guidance
0: always remains present throughout our lives no matter what intersection it is you're about to cross through. What's your intersection this morning? What I want to do with you is to now look at these verses from the 36th of Acts 15 onward into the 10th of Acts 16 and draw out three significant principles that I think are going to begin to unfold as we continue to track the journeys of the Apostle Paul. And the first comes out of verses 36 to 41, and we're going to put it like this. That as you and I, as we seek God's guidance for advancing his purposes... Don't be surprised by, number one, the new conflicts we need to address. I say, Gary, when I'm in God's will, when I'm seeking God's lead, when I'm pursuing God's guidance, shouldn't conflicts be eliminated rather than enhanced? It's a good question. But well, what I want you to bear in mind is that when you and I are considering the cross of Jesus Christ, as Jesus made his way toward Jerusalem
1: in the will of God, seeking the will of God, conflict did not diminish. Conflict escalated, intensified,
0: all within the parameters of the will of God. And God would use the conflict engineered by
1: Judas in combination with Herod and Pilate, pushed forward by the
0: Sanhedrin. He would use it to redeem his people from their sins. God sovereignly overruled. Now, what I want you to see here are the personal dynamics that are involved in this, in this relational conflict that begins to unfold, and let's try to parse it out, separate it, put it back together, and see what on earth it is that God is doing. Well, simultaneously, you and I can ask ourselves at a very microscopic level, and what about uh, in our own personal dynamics when tensions arise? Um, how do we address them? How do we understand them? when you are in the midst of the intersections of living. And you pick it up now in this opening section, where, first of all, new conflicts here that we need to address begin to unfold in front of our very eyes, when after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, whose name means literally son of encouragement, at least that was his nickname, his real name was Joseph, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Notice the we here. There is there's a sense of oneness. Sounds like a plan. Ready now for the second expedition,
1: the second journey of togetherness, you see. Barnabas has been Paul's mentor,
0: his disciple. Barnabas, son of encouragement, stood up for Paul. Barnabas, son of encouragement, went with Paul. Barnabas, son of encouragement, stood strong for Paul. Barnabas is a man who pours himself into individuals, loves personal relationships. Paul, he loves personal relationships, but while Barnabas' calling
1: was personal, Paul's calling was global. He was an itinerant rather than constant
0: when it came to the ministries. One locale versus many locales. He was always on the go, you see. Not too long in one setting. That's why he's not necessarily a model of a pastor. He was a church planter, if you will. So now, what you and I see here are two different types that have been brought together by God for a season of life. And in that season of life, they had gone on one particular expedition in chapters 13 and 14, marked out by Acts. But now, in verse 37, Barnabas, who pours himself relationally into individuals, says, I want to take John Mark. You see it there? Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. Now, John Mark was the one that fled when the going got tough, first go-around, first expedition. Now, he wants, in other words, to allow this individual to have a second chance. And he invests himself personally in John Mark, who, by the way, is his cousin. So there are family dynamics involved here. Never underestimate that. Consider all the stakeholders when you're looking at personal tensions. So now, here is Paul, globalist. Here is Barnabas. He thinks personal. Paul thinks global. And now Barnabas wants to take with them John Mark. Paul, on the other hand, verse 38, thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. What do you make of all this now? Attention's beginning to brew. Well, there are a couple of verbs here I want to draw off. We had our Greek in front of us, so I'd be able to point it out directly. But when it says, now Paul wanted to take with them John called Mark. The word wanted is what's called an imperfect verb. Curious with the idea of continuous action. In other words, he wanted and he wanted and he continued to want. In other words, he just kept at it. He was persistent. We need to take John Mark, you see. He was invested. Family, relationally, personally, history. But there's another imperfect. In the very next verse, Paul thought best not to take with them. And so it reads, But the phrase thought best is also in the imperfect. It carries with the idea that Paul kept insisting. In other words, Paul kept wanting, and Paul kept insisting. Barnabas kept saying, let's do it, and Paul kept insisting, we're not going to do it. Back and forth it went. Both are continual, and you can just begin to feel this thing escalating. You ever have something escalate on you?
1: No. Was Barnabas wrong and Paul right? Was Barnabas right?
0: Paul wrong? What Christians need to do is to begin to expand their categories beyond beyond true and false and right and wrong. There are also such things as good, better, and best. Degrees of effectiveness and ineffectiveness. Degrees of wisdom and lack of wisdom. There are various categories, and we've got to get beyond the simplistic ideas and think multicolored when it comes to this dynamic now back to the stakeholders we talked about Barnabas, personal paul global but what about the church in antioch what are they thinking these were our leaders these are the titans these are the men who stood strong they went to Jerusalem to argue salvation comes by grace through faith and they did it together and now they've returned and a disagreement has, aris- has arisen.
1: But what we have to bear in mind is that disagreement over issues can't descend into disunity among people.
0: Disagreement over issues is not meant to descend into disunity among people.
1: Jesus dealt with a lot of disagreements among his disciples. But they kept
0: marching toward the cross together, you see. Disagreement does not need to lead disunity. But now, something is at hand. What does the church in Antioch do?
1: What's fascinating is they'd let these two guys duke it out. When I was in grade school for Christmas, I received a gift of boxing gloves and a punching bag. And I'd work out with those throughout course of evening hours once I was done with my studies and so on.
0: After my parents passed away, I asked my sister Marianne, whatever happened to my boxing gloves and punching bag, as well as those baseball cards for crying out loud, where did my baseball cards go? They're worth something.
1: And uh, they're just all gone, you see.
0: But I do remember a conversation that happened uh, in the hallways of church when I was young where somebody walked up to my parents and said why did you allow for your son for christmas to get boxing gloves and a punching bag and together one voice they said because there's going to come a time when someday we're not around to solve his conflicts
1: and he's going to have to do it for himself i like that jesus made his way to the cross he faced conflict. What we've got to bear in mind at this
0: point is that the church of Antioch is looking at their great leaders and they're probably saying, where is God in the midst of all this? And that is a fascinating question because when you are dealing with stakeholders in the realm of conflict resolution, you also have to deal with matters of the covert and the overt. In other words, God and Satan. But let's start in this case with Satan. He could not in Jerusalem distort the meaning of grace, though he tried. So now they come to Antioch, and now he will attempt to thwart the ministry of grace by
1: getting Paul and Barnabas to separate from one another. And he thinks he's got the upper hand.
0: Who's got the upper hand?
1: For you see, what will happen is
0: this Barnabas will take John Mark and head off to Cyprus. Paul is going to take Silas and pick up Timothy along the way and head off eventually to Europe. The evil one thought he had divided and conquered, and Jesus said, Divide and I
1: conquer, because now I've got two missionary teams instead of one going in different directions. And God and his sovereign purposes can turn a conflict into a conquest because of his sovereign will and guidance, you see, over our lives. Robert Harmon, He asked the question, do you like to dance? Have you ever pondered that the word guidance has dance within it? When I meditated on the word guidance, one wrote to him at the time in which
0: fiance had passed away, recalling the dance of their lives. I kept seeing dance at the end of the word, guidance, the dance of guidance. And I remember reading that doing God's will is a lot like dancing, when two people try to lead, nothing feels right, the movement doesn't flow with the music, and everything is quite uncomfortable and jerky. When one person realizes and lets the other lead, then both bodies begin to flow with the music. One gives gentle cues, perhaps a nudge to the back or by pressing lightly in one direction or another. It's as if two become one body, moving, moving beautifully. The dance takes a surrender, willingness, and attentiveness from one person. And gentle. And so he ponders this. My eyes drew back to the word guidance. I was hurting, he wrote. I too had lost a loved one. When I saw the G, I thought of God, followed by the U and the I. God, you and I, the dance. God, you and I, the dance. And this statement is what guided me through the challenges of my life. As I lowered my head, I became willing to trust that I would get guidance about my life. And once again, I became willing to let God lead. And my prayer for you as you read this, she penned, is that God's blessings and mercies be upon you day after day. May you abide in him as he abides in you. Enter the dance. Trust God to lead, to guide you through each season of your life.
1: It's time to dance. Personal, global. Antioch takes a step back as the Titans of
0: the faith do it all. The evil one thinks divide, conquer, and the one who is sovereign all says, "You divide, I conquer." And out of the one, two teams now form, and the gospel goes forth. Powerful. Are you able to see how a conflict can turn into a conquest
1: in the hands of the sovereign God? It happened. Three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. You're on now to the second principle. The first was that
0: you and I noted together that we're not to be surprised by the new conflicts that we need to address when we're following the will of God. Then out of verses 1 through 5, second of all, I want you to see here the new relationships we need to develop as we're following the will of
1: God. Now, in order to be able to delve into that, let me pause,
0: take a step back. Let it appear on the screen, if you will. Here is what the Apostle Paul now is having to process geographically. Makes his way in Antioch. Been there, done that, he says to himself. That's where the church was at. Onward then into Cilicia. Enters into what's now modern-day Turkey. Cilicia. And verse 41, you and I noted that he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, And that means entering through the Cilician Gates, which appears next on the screen. And as it appears next, remind yourself this is God's sovereign doings. Because he took what the emperor of Rome thought was to be a road system to allow his troops to go through. And God then utilized that that road system to allow those carrying the gospel to carry this good news through. That's your sovereign God. So now ponder the various ways in which God is at work. And don't underestimate God's sovereignty in the midst
1: of the roads of life. You've made your way through the intersection, you know. You've entered the dance. New conflicts. Always new conflicts need to be addressed. Jesus addressed them by
0: being raised from the dead three days later. New relationships we need to develop. Pick it up in verse 1 down to verse 5. Paul came also to Derby, didn't he? To Lystra. And you're saying, I can't believe, Gary, he's going back to Lystra. Lystra. Lystra was the place where you and I explored the events of chapter 14. When Paul was stoned, it was thought, in fact, that he had died. In chapter 14, verse 19, Jews came from Antioch, Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But then you read in verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Astounding stuff, courage. But notice the disciples gathered around him. Who are these disciples? Was that, in fact, Timothy? And furthermore,
1: Timothy's mother, Eunice. He's back to Lystra where he had been stoned. It's courageous. And there, a disciple. There he is. His name's Timothy.
0: If you read First and Second Timothy in the back of your Newer Testament, it's Timothy. A disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And Paul is saying this is, just, this is just too good to be true because it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And now I get the disciple one who's got this kind of, this natural combination
1: found within him. Wonders. It's well spoken, huh? well-spoken by the brothers, at Lystra,
0: Iconium. And so you and I are not surprised. Hasn't, after all, Barnabas demonstrated how you disciple, and he poured himself into Paul? Paul has learned from Barnabas, even though he no longer has Barnabas, so he will now pour himself into
1: Timothy. Who are you pouring yourself into? Even in the midst of the tensions of life. As you've entered
0: into the dance of life.
1: Guidance. The dance of guidance. So Paul wanted Timothy. That's a very intense word. He wanted him. He's got Silas. Now he wants Timothy. Make it a trio.
0: Wanted Timothy to accompany him. So what on earth is he now going to do? He took him and circumcised him. And you say, Gary, wasn't that just simply resolved in Acts chapter 15? Where circumcision was not a requirement for salvation? They established the meaning of grace there. Now what on earth is Paul doing? Having established that circumcision was not necessary for salvation, he goes and circumcises Timothy. And furthermore, furthermore, when you read Galatians, remember how you keep Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians together? Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Girls eat potato chips. Something to that. I don't know. I'm just... Coming with these things. Well, whatever the case, what you have here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, is that even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. So you chose not to circumcise Titus. You chose to circumcise Timothy. Help me, is this an inconsistency? Not whatsoever. Because in Titus's situation. The legalists were arguing that salvation was by grace plus works. Paul took a stand and said, circumcision is not going to happen here. It's grace alone. But that was not the issue there in Lystra. Salvation by grace alone was already established. So now he's got a different operating principle. What is it?
1: Ah. Flexible methods for fluid times. And he understood the difference between the message which is
0: unchangeable and the methods which are
1: changeable.
0: And he continuously adjusted his methods
1: but not the message. That's what makes cutting-edge people cutting-edge people.
0: That's how Christians in a fluid time period such as this make a difference. They distinguish between the message and the methods. And you don't adjust the message. You do adjust the methods. And the result is you got a Timothy on your hands. Got it, Timothy? I remember the story some of you do as well. Shackleton, great explorer. He's about ready to go on his next and last expedition to the Arctic. The biographer tells us he was seated in an office in London. He was talking to a friend. A friend said, I'm surprised at the publicity you're giving to this new venture. It's not like you. Shackleton said, I have a purpose in doing this. I want my colleague, Mr. Wilde, to hear about my plans. He's buried himself in Africa. He's left no address. So I thought I would, if I would just simply broadcast the news that I was going off to the Arctic, it might filter through the very heart of Africa. Maybe Wilde will hear about it and will come. And as they tuned, because they heard something a rustling at the door, there was Mr. Wilde.
1: We're told it was a dramatic moment as Wilde and Shackleton shook hands. The handshake of
0: oneness. I heard you were going, said Wilde. The news found its way into the heart of Africa. And when I knew, I dropped my gun, picked up my baggage, made straight for home.
1: Here I am. What are your orders? now Timothy becomes the Mr. Wild, And
0: out of this expedition then, which we find is that new relationships are being developed, and now just as Barnabas had mentored, discipled Paul, Paul now mentors disciples. And this one known as Timothy. And so as they made their way on, they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem namely the message of grace through faith in Christ alone for salvation and the churches you and I are told were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily these were men who
1: understood flexible methods with an unflexible message Lystra got a scene from Lystra
0: and so there now was the place where at one time Paul was stoned and was left for dead, but someone along the way and others came to joy, ministered to him. Was that Timothy? Was that his mother as well? Eunice? Maybe Lois, grandmother as
1: well? Lystra, another intersection. And the guide remains with us as you move to the third principle.
0: Because thirdly, not only are we not to be surprised by the new conflicts we need to address and the new relationships that we need to develop in this life venture, but thirdly, the new courses
1: that we need to take. Paths, roads, courses. And so here you have now. And they went through the region of Phrygia. We're in Turkey.
0: And Galatia. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Have you ever found a time in your life where you were at the intersection of decision making and God said no? It just seemed... He should have said yes. Everything in your world screamed at you, saying, this is a great opportunity, and God said no.
1: Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes God says yes.
0: And then for reemphasis, In verse 7, when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Second attempt. Have you tried repeatedly to do something of significance for God? And again and again and again, you look at the age of your life, you look at the Bithynia of your life, and God said no to that, and God said no
1: to your Bithynia. At that point, in the intersection of decision-making, has the guide left you? No. The source of guidance remains present even when he says no. Because there's grace in the no. There's grace in the wait. There's grace in the yes. Look what comes next. You're up to verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they
0: went down to Troas. Take a look at Troas.
1: Ten miles from what we know as Troy. Ever read Homer? Battle of Troy. This is the region.
0: And now you are at the place in which you're going to have to make a decision. Do I head eastward or do I head westward? I remember a professor of mine, Dr. Kenneth Conze, became eventually the editor of Christianity Today. And he pointed out to his students in the class, and I'm sitting there taking notes, he said, if he, Paul, went eastward, would there have been a Luther and a Calvin and a Zwingli and a Wesley and a Whitfield and a Billy Graham? And where would the United
1: States be if he went eastward? He's about to go westward. And Troas was his intersection.
0: Has there been a Troas in your life? Has there been a major intersection where you had to decide east or west and which way are you leading, God?
1: Are you with me, God? Look verse 9 out. Check it out. A vision appeared
0: to Paul. What timing? Right, If you look geographically at the map, right at a point in which you are at a, 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 a juncture in which east versus west, the decision is going to have to be made, a vision broke in, appeared upon the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, and I don't want you to miss the wording at this point. Come over to Macedonia.
1: It's Europe and help us, us, which means Paul is not going to be alone. God's
0: already gone ahead. God's already prepared people for an incredible reunion. People gathered together now to have major impact upon what we now know as Europe. But he was at that intersection of Troas, east or west, and maybe that's where you find yourself as well, your own Troas moment in time. But sometimes you've got to go through a series of no's in order to hear the word yes. A no to your Asia, verse 6. A no to your Bithynia, in verse 7. In order to hear a yes from God regarding the matter of Macedonia, There. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Don't miss the
1: plural. Don't you love the action described here? And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, he's got his yes. We sought to go into
0: Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to do what? Just
1: go on a tour? No. No. Tour of Europe, preach the gospel to them. Years ago, I had the privilege of being on the board of Ministerial Association for the Free Church of America.
0: I was a newbie to the board, young in the pastorate, and somebody on the board said, "Dr. J. I. Packer has just written a book on guidance. Maybe we could have Dr. Packer come and speak to us." And then all of them turned at, looked at me and said, would you call Dr. Packer and ask him if he would come to speak to the pastors of the free church? This is the man who wrote the book Knowing God. Now sitting next to me was a man who had gone to Cambridge and Oxford, close friend, Dr. Bill Kynes. I thought for sure Bill would be the one, but for some odd reason they asked me. And so I called Dr. Packer, who was now who is now in Vancouver, Canada at that time. And we had a conversation. He wasn't able to come, but he shared a lot of thoughts that eventually made his way into a book about understanding the guidance of God. Dr. Packer in the past weeks has gone home to be with Jesus. But here are a few thoughts from one of his books addresses what happens when people say they are simply being guided by their feelings between how God is leading. He writes impressions need to be suspected before they are sanctioned and tested before they are trusted. Confidence that one's impressions are God given is no guarantee that this is really the case even if the impressions persist and grow stronger through long seasons of prayer, distinguish between personal preferences and God's will, God's word, and human feelings, human desires. Bible-based wisdom must be the basis for judging such feelings. He would go on to write, there is no certain way to test such impressions. Sometimes one will not be able to tell whether one's impression was a message from God or a human fancy. The correct conclusion to draw is that as we seek to do what by biblical standards best serve God's glory
1: and the good of others, God will be with us. As I pause and watch this blind man at the intersection, He's released the reins temporarily. He's fumbling around in his pockets, found what he was looking for. But astoundingly, the
0: guide dog stayed put at the intersection of decisions.
1: And then they make their way through. And as they do so, I write these words. the true source of guidance remains ever present. Let's stand together. No surprises, Father. New conflicts. We all face them. We all experience them. The ultimate at the cross of Jesus Christ. When three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead.
0: New relationships we need to develop in the midst of this journey of life. New courses we need to take where we've got our Asias in mind, we've got our Bithynias in mind, and lo and behold, you say Macedonia. We find ourselves heading west instead of east. There will be a day for east. But for now, you say west. Lord, in all these dynamics, guide us through the intersections. And through it all, I pray we will understand very clearly the source of guidance remains ever present. And for this, we give
1: you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.